Welcome to the Write It Down podcast with the 1513 Network. I'm Brooke Murata, bringing you one-on-one interviews to challenge, to inspire, and to encourage. Up next is the president of the Pro Football Hall of Fame, David Baker. He has arguably the most fun job in the world, at least from my perspective. David is the guy who knocks on the doors of each selected NFL Hall of Famer to announce their induction. Some of these guys have been waiting up to 40 years to be inducted, and David gets the privilege to deliver this great news. He is dedicated to uphold the powerful mission of the Pro Football Hall of Fame, which is to honor the heroes of the game, preserve its history, promote its values, and celebrate excellence everywhere. David shares with us that the best is always yet to come. Sit back, relax, and get your pens ready, because this is Write It Down. All right. Well, welcome back to Write It Down. I'm your host, Brooke Murata, on the line with President and CEO of the Pro Football Hall of Fame, David Baker. Welcome to Write It Down. Brooke, great to be with you. Even though it's virtual and we're on the phone here, welcome to the most inspiring place on earth I'm here ex- in Canton, Ohio. I'm so excited. I mean, I imagine becoming the president of the Pro Football Hall of Fame wasn't necessarily on your bucket list. So how do you stumble onto a job like this? You know what? It it, um, it probably wasn't, but I will tell you that it's become the best job in the world. Um I, w- I had been, uh, I'm a lawyer by trade. I'd been a former mayor of Irvine, California. Uh, I became commissioner of the Arena Football League when it was flying high. Uh, I left because my own son, who played at USC, was a three-time All-American there, was drafted in the first round in 2008 by the Atlanta Falcons. And I kind of left the Arena Football League to take care of him. Uh, so then I went out and kind of became a developer and went back to practice in law a little bit. And um, I I was traveling one day when uh, a friend of mine who's, uh, you know, the chairman of the sports division at uh, Corn Ferry called and said, hey, would you be interested in applying for the job at the Pro Football Hall of Fame? And, uh, you know, I kind of did my best Will Ferrell imitation Brooke and told him, uh, I don't know if you know this, but I'm kind of a big deal. I'm I've got this uh, big project that we're working on in Henderson, Nevada, called Union Village, and uh, I don't think so. I-, I knew my predecessor, who was a great guy. I loved the hall, but you know, I didn't think I could do this. And he said, "Well, I'll send you the, um, you know, the job description, anyways. And if you change your mind, let me know." And I said, "Thanks." And later that night, I was kind of cleaning up my email, and I took that job description he'd sent and I sent it to my wife and I said hey you'll never guess what happened today and then I promptly erased it mm-hmm. and uh, about 15 minutes later Brooke she called me and she said hey we're going to go do this and I said uh, in my most sweetest condescending voice I said well sweetheart I already said no and uh, she said well that's okay you can call him back and, and I said well I said, sweetheart, we got this big project that we're involved in, and I'm the managing partner of it. And she said, yeah, but it's time you pass that on to your your partners. They can handle this. And and finally, I said, we're from Southern California, Brooks. So I said, sweetheart, I don't know if you know this, but it is cold in Ohio. It's colder than you have ever been. And, and um, she said, that's okay. I can handle it. I said, why do you want to do this so much? And to my great amazement, uh, she said, have you read it? And I hadn't even read it, to be honest with you. And she said, you better read this because this is what you believe. And uh, to her great credit, she saw what I didn't see. 
my mom and dad didn't know how to read or write. Um, sports was what allowed me to meet the rest of the world. Uh, it uh, got me a scholarship to college and then even a partial scholarship to law school. It helped me take me around the world to introduce me to people. And I've always felt that the values of sport were, were, were very important. You learn how to get up when you get knocked down, how to keep going when you can't go on any longer. And to me, it wasn't about the hero worship of those in sports or even just about loving sports that much. It's about the values that sports teaches you. And so for me, uh, around here at the Pro Football Hall of Fame, our mission is to honor the heroes of the game, to preserve its history, promote its values, and celebrate excellence everywhere. So we kind of uh, respectfully call that the church of football. Uh, it, may, it may not be the all-important question of, is Jesus Christ the Son of God, or right. did he rise from the dead and take our sins upon him uh, three days later? Um, but it does have a lot of th to do with other things that are taught uh, mm -hmm. on Sunday at a church or Saturday in a temple or a synagogue yeah. uh, or, or cathedral. Uh, so for, for me, this has been a wonderful place, a wonderful experience. And my wife was the one to recognize that, not me. Wow. Wow. And, and kind of what you said, too, about like it's not necessarily like the weight of the church, but it, ha it holds a lot of weight and value sports do. I mean, it brings people together. And we're seeing that now with, you know, COVID and, and people staying inside and kind of sports being, quote unquote, canceled right now um, and just the, the collectivity of that. Um, so you're the guy that knocks on the door and tells them they made it into the hall. So describe that that feeling that that job for yourself. Well, you know, it's interesting because, uh, you know, when I first, we, we first thought of this concept when I first got here, because we wanted to show fans what it's like for them to feel that they're going into the hall. Mm -hmm. And, um, and, and unfortunately, we went so long my first year here that we had to call them instead of knock on the door. Uh, but my first call was to uh, Michael Strahan because we had to get him across town from his home. And my second call was to Derek Brooks, who was a friend and I just wanted to call my buddy and tell him that he's in the hall. My third one was to Ray Guy. Uh, Ray is a punter who had been eligible for 29 years. And uh, a, a lot of times he'd received the call that he wasn't in. Uh, so when I called him, he didn't recognize, he was looking for area code 330, which is Canton and I'm from, my phone says 714 from Orange County, California. Uh, but fortunately, he answered, and uh, I said, Ray, this is Dave Baker. I'm the new president of the Hall of Fame. And in that slow southern Mississippi drawl he has, he said, yes, sir. And I said, Ray, it's my great pleasure. And I got that far, and I could hear him fall to the ground. I could hear his phone rattling around. And his wife was saying, honey, baby, are you okay? And, and I thought I killed my first Hall of Famer. Uh, but in reality, <laughs> it, it was about two minutes, which you being in the broadcasting business knows that two minutes is a long time yeah. um, before he got up and got on the phone and he said, hey, I, I'm sorry, but I'm not sure I knew until it, I really knew until now how much this means to me. Wow. And from that moment on, we started kind of trying to develop ways with cameras and microphones to uh, to, to show fans how much it means to these incredibly elite uh, football players 
uh, because of the journey they've made. Yeah. And uh, when I knock on the door, uh, you know, most often they cry. Uh, and but not one of them is thinking how much money they made mm-hmm. or how much money they're going to make. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're thinking about uh, their mom that drove them to practice when they were 10 years old or their dad that wouldn't let them quit or the coach that inspired them to do something that they never thought they could do or teammates who stood beside them when the going got tough. And, you know, for you could see it in their eyes. Um, and and then when we go through this process, which is really a year-long process of being enshrined, you know, you, you get to understand that it's not just about them. It's about all the people that they made this life's journey with. Yeah. So it's, it's, a, it's a very, very special experience. And whether it's Brett Favre, who took about 10 seconds to get elected, uh, but when I knocked on his door, it was enormously humble uh, because he clearly knew the shoulders of those he stood upon at that moment, or, or whether it was Jerry Kramer who waited 45 years for that knock on the door. Wow. Uh, every one of them is special. Uh, every one of them is uh, unique. Uh, and, and last year we went on the sets of uh, CBS uh, to share with Bill Cower mm-hmm. that he was going to be enshrined this year. And, and, and Bill has that enormous jaw that is like Mount Rushmore. Yeah. And, and he is a very private guy, but that huge jaw was shaking. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, the next day when we talked to Jimmy Johnson yeah, on the set of Fox in L.A., yeah. um, you know, he was... You know, and people all over the set are crying, yep. and, and Jimmy wasn't breathing. I mean, he was, uh, you know, he, so it's a very special moment. Yeah. And it's not, it, it, uh, it's great for all fans to see this because it uses football as a platform, but it's really bigger than football. And I think that these values that we show here, Brooke, mm. kind of demonstrate that you don't have to be a football player or have a bronze bust in Canton, Ohio have a hall of fame life right right and 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 kind of to echo what you said with jimmy johnson i mean i watched that with my dad and i had tears in my eyes because you know you see like terry bradshaw and howie long and it's just like he's surrounded by these greats and for him it was just like everybody around him was so happy and proud for him and i think that's the what you capture with the NFL Hall of Fame is it's not just like super duper famous people that played in the NFL. It's it's a family. And so watching people who played against each other or coached against each other be a part of the same family is just like a really unique and almost like spiritual sense to it, you know? So I yeah, think... Yeah, Bill Pullen once had a great saying here. He, uh, so many... Bill Pullen being a general manager as a Hall of Famer had a lot of the players that he developed or drafted come to Canton when he went into the Hall of Fame. And he was talking to one of them and said, man, I can't believe it that you're here. And the player turned back to him and said, are you kidding? Thank you for getting us here. I I think when a guy makes it in the Hall of Fame, there's a whole lot of people who thinks they've got a piece of that. And they certainly deserve it because it's an incredible journey. Yeah, absolutely. And and as a person yourself, kind of outside of the, the job, like growth is, I'm sure, super important to you. So what are some maybe personal stories that you could share about yourself that kind of bleed into, you profession, into your professional life? Well, I, I think I could share a lot of failure. <laughs> you know, I, I think, uh, you know, it, it hasn't always been great for me, but I put a high premium on caring 
uh, you know, when uh, a, a Pharisee came to Christ and asked him what was the most important lesson, uh, he said, to love the Lord with all your God, the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and another one is like it, to love your neighbor like you love yourself. Mm-hmm. So there were three real things in that, that it was loving God, loving your neighbor, but also learning to love yourself, which ain't easy sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I also heard um, a great description one day. I was actually just watching television on PBS. and uh, It was Bill Gates and Warren Buffett talking to a bunch of grad students at uh, the University of Nebraska. And one of the questions was, how do you define success? And Bill Gates gave an incredibly articulate answer um, you know, that was, you know, that he'd been allowed to make a lot of money. He could now take that money to cure pediatric AIDS in, in Africa. And it wasn't about the money that serves him. It was about the money and how he could use it to help others. Uh, but I thought Warren Buffett, who uh, has been here to the hall and uh, has been a part of our ceremonies here, I thought he had an amazing answer, even if it wasn't that articulate. But he said, you know, he's known other people with a lot of money, and he said a lot of them aren't happy. Mm. And he said, in my experience, you're successful if you feel loved. Wow. He said, whether it's a dog, whether it's uh, uh, your wife, uh, whether it's, you know, your, your, your kids, as long as you feel loved, you feel successful. And I think what Christ was saying is that the best way to feel loved is to love others. Yeah. And so I put a high premium in terms of growth on on uh, on, on uh, you know on caring about other people and about caring about the situation. And sometimes it's hard because you might care too much. Yeah. But um, you know I, I've had some people around me grow like crazy. Uh, people at the hall or when I was with the Arena Football League, my my I, I always believe that if your secretary is growing. Your business is growing, and just like all, if, as long as your people is growing, your business is growing. And my former secretary at the Arena Football League uh, was a young lady just out of college named Reedy Anderson, who's now like the fourth or fifth person over at the NFL. Uh, she's the uh, executive vice president of sponsorships and licensing, and she has grown and grown and grown and grown. And that's what you want. If you care about people, if you help them grow, there's some, going to be some risk and some setbacks, just like in this game we honor here in Canton. You, sometimes you get tackled for a loss, mm-hmm. but then you huddle up, you get on the same page, you care about each other, and you, then you go out again. And if people are growing, your business is growing. Yeah. And and kind of to go back to your point about, about being loved, it's not about money, but it's about being loved. Um, is there like a defining moment when you felt the most loved in your life? I mean, perhaps it's like when your wife says, no, we're going to go do this. Like it might not seem like love in the, in the moment, but she, she ultimately had your best interest in mind and saw something that you couldn't see for yourself, which I think is a form of love. Is there another, um, just kind of encounter like that in your life that you can point back to, or maybe in your growing up, uh, with your family? You know, I, I, frankly, I think, Brooke, you know, I, I don't mean to be evasive here, but I think there's so many in my life that would be, it's hard to choose. But I, I, you know, beyond the love of God who sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for me, um, you know, I, I think my wife saying that she wanted to leave the grandkids and come here 
so I could do something I believe was an excellent example of that. But I will also tell you that uh, something as simple as uh, I, I used to have a lot of golden retrievers, which I thought was a great man's dog. And my wife brought home this miniature Yorkshire Terrier that was four pounds. And uh, his name was Max. And I didn't want anything to do with Max because I thought he was a girly dog. And, you know, I was afraid I was going to step on him. Um, but what was interesting to me was this dog loved me so much. He chose me. And he loved me so much that he made me love him back, Brooke. And, and, you know, when he died, I cried more than when my dad died, and I loved my dad. Mm -hmm. But I think it, that, that to me, was always a great example of, of uh, you know, we have challenges. We have feelings, and feelings get hurt, and there's all kinds of problems. Mm -hmm. But if you keep loving, uh, you can get to a pretty good place. Yeah. And you don't hear that in many businesses. Uh, you know, you, there's not a lot of people talking about love. They're talking about how do we get to the bottom line and organizational theory. Mm -hmm. um, but I do believe that it is an incredible motivator. And, and I will tell you this, that when our guys here who have gold jackets mm -hmm. come to the Pro Football Hall of Fame once a year, they have a meeting called the Rainitsky Luncheon where we close the door and the only guys that are in there are gold jackets. And, and what they miss the most about the game is the love that they found in that locker rooms with their teammates with whom they stood shoulder to shoulder. And, and so it, it's uh, I think it's a powerful motivator and it certainly motivates me. Yeah, absolutely. And and from what I hear from from the guys that retire um, they end up just going to play golf because they can't get that locker room vibe except on the golf course. So that's what I hear. I don't know. I've never, never been uh, in the Hall of Fame in any sport. We're going to take a quick break from our show to discuss Patreon. Patreon is a secure site that allows creators to make albums, videos, and podcasts like the one you're listening to now. So if you enjoy Write It Down, please head over to our website, xvxiii.com or spell out 1513.com in your browser. Click on the Patreon banner at the top of the page and show your support. Write It Down is made possible by the 1513 Network, so please send over your love, your support for the other shows as well. If not, just stick with Write It Down because I'm the coolest, the realest, the illest. Anyways, back to the show. Is it difficult for you to relate in certain regards because you didn't play the game? Or, I mean, sports was definitely um, part of your life, but, I mean, and you also get a lot of... Um, you know, slack for being the big guy, six foot nine. So, so what is that like for you? Yeah, I, I don't think it's hard at all. I played football, uh, you know, but it was always flag football because they were, I was actually too big to play with the other kids uh, in youth football because when they, where I was, they weighed you and I was too big. And by the time I got around to it, uh, I went to a, a three year high school and I was kind of, by then I was a basketball player and I knew that was going to get me to college. Um, but, but we kind of corrected that in the next generation. Um, you know, my I had two boys. Uh, one uh, played at USC uh, when they were winning national championships and Rose Bowls there for Pete Carroll. And they were winning 35 straight um, and had the record for the most consecutive wins in the NC2A. And my other son, Ben, 
who is now a director of broadcasting at NASCAR, uh, he played at Duke when they were losing 22 straight. So when we'd sit down at at home uh, for our dinner discussions, um, you know, we had both records at our house. But the great thing, Brooke, was that both of them were learning the same lessons. Uh, I've always loved football. I was just at some point, you know, uh, too big, believe it or not, too big to play it. Uh, and uh, but we corrected that in this next generation uh, because I think my kids played for some wonderful coaches who learned some great lessons on life. Uh, I know you had Ed Ogeron here yes, on sir. your radio show, and Ed was the guy who recruited my son to USC, Sammy. And wow. uh, you know, again, Sam would go through a wall for Ed Ogeron, mm-hmm. but on the day that Ed left USC, he kind of pulled my son out of the line. Sammy, he said, you know, Sammy, he, he said, it's been one of the great um, experiences of my life to watch you become a man. And that meant a ton to Sam, but it meant even more to me as a father. Yeah. And, and I know that Ed and Pete Carroll and, and high school coaches across the country, and not just in football, but in, in, in all sports, are, you know, kind of uh, helping young boys and young girls become um, great men and great women. Wow. And, and I didn't know that about um, Ed Orgeron and your son. I mean, when Ed came on the show and he shared when he left USC, and that was kind of his, the beginning of his valley, um, and not knowing like what you know God was going to do in his life as far as coaching is concerned. And he was living out in California while his family was still in Louisiana. So to hear that his life touched your son's life, you know, it's just a really cool, like, just thread of grace through all of your stories. And so I think it really does. Um, it kind of goes back to that, that community of sports of it's not just your family at home that are teaching you a certain principles, but it's your coaches um, on the football field as well. Yeah. And, and let me tell you, I think Ed Ogeron touched a whole lot of lives more than just my son. And I think he's going to touch a lot more. Billy Graham once said that uh, a coach touches more kids in one year and impacts them than most of us do in a lifetime. Mm. And so I think, you know, and and with all due respect to the great educators out there that Mm -hmm. are teaching our kids information and how to process it in in this important, uh, you know, world that has to do that. Uh, You know, in my experience, most of us go back to our coach when we have a lifetime crisis. Yeah. (laughs) Because that is the guy that teaches us how to get up when you get knocked down or how to go on when you can't go any longer. Uh, And that is a critically important issue, whether you're facing a a pandemic, an economic crisis or social injustice. Yeah. And, um, and and that's another thing. Sports teaches you how to, you know, come together as, as people. My, my dad was from Mississippi and grew up at a different time in a different place. And, um, it had a different view of things. And he wasn't a bad man. He just grew up in a different time in a different place. Mm-hmm. Uh, my son, uh, who went to USC, is uh, married to a, a, a beautiful young African-American lady inside and out. And I got two spectacular um, interracial grandsons that my dad would have absolutely loved. As a matter of fact, my other son is married to 
a uh, lady who's first generation out of Mexico. She's Hispanic. And so that son mm. uh, is interracial as well. I got a grandson there who is just a bruiser. And mm. it, but so uh, the product of their love and their yeah. respect for other people is evidenced in these incredible grandsons I have. Yeah. And, and that's what the game teaches. When, when you huddle up, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter yep. where you come from or how much money your parents have or what color your skin is. Uh, the thing that matters is, you know, do we have the same jersey on and right. uh, I'll fight for you and you'll fight for me. Absolutely. And, and, and given our current cultural climate right now, do you think it is imperative that sports start back up? As far as like that collect like the collective vibe with that, you know, Brooke, I have always been a great believer that if we spent more money on balls and whistles, uh, both domestically and internationally, we'd spend a lot less money on guns and grenades and missiles. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that um, you know, that if we teach and just help our children love and respect each other at an early age. Um, it, it's going to be a lot better when we have bigger differences later on. And um, I, I think, you know, if you look at sports, uh, I think that arguably, uh, you know, think about this. There was, I think, 1.3 million casualties in the Civil War. Um, but did that really have as big an impact as when uh, Jackie Robinson stepped on the field for the Brooklyn Dodgers? Mm. Or Fritz Pollard coached in 1922 as an African-American in the National Football League. And sports has taught us to cheer for each other, to support each other, to compete with each other. Um, it is, you know, Title IX for women has allowed women like yourself to learn all the lessons of competition so that they can compete better in a very competitive world. Uh, with business, or in your case, broadcasting. Um, I think internationally, uh, sports and the Olympics in particular help take down the Berlin Wall. So, uh, you know, yeah, I I think that there's wonderful lessons in sports, and I think it's a powerful, powerful tool. Yeah, and I mean, and as far as family is concerned, too, like I remember growing up and my parents would split up and take my sister one weekend to one side of the state and me to the other side of the state. I played soccer. My sister played basketball and it gave us something to do, you know, on the weekends and something after school to do. It brought the family together. Um, And I imagine it was probably similar with with your sons. Um, What is like what's some amazing stories that you have with your sons with sports? (laughs) Well, you know, the the wife I was sharing about, uh, you know, talking about coming to uh, Canton, Colleen is my second marriage, Uh, you know, the mother of my boys, and I got divorced. But I will tell you that sports kind of kept us together. We we both loved our kids, and I would have them half the time, and she would have them half the time. But, boy, on the weekends, we were all together cheering at ballgames. Frequently, I was the coach, and she was the team mom. And... and, uh, and to this day, you know, uh, you know, my wife, her wife, uh, our families get along because we all care about our kids. Yeah. And pretty soon when you're involved with kids like that, like your parents were with your, your teams, uh, whether it's soccer or some other sport, all of a sudden those other kids kind of become your kids too. Yeah. And, 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 and you watch them grow up. And uh, I, again, I think it's a wonderful thing that we have uh, in some respects that's uniquely American. 
uh, that is, as we know in history, have helped you know, uh, you know, our guys really become better soldiers, better teachers, better preachers, better police officers and firemen. And, uh, you know, these are values uh, and, and they relate to both men and women and to any race and any religion. It doesn't matter whether you're a Baptist or a Buddhist or uh, a Jew or an agnostic. Um, you know, the lessons that you learn from sports are applicable anywhere in the world. And I've seen that in Israel. Uh, I've seen that behind the Iron Curtain. Uh, and I've seen it here at home. Yeah. Uh, that if we just huddle up and come together, uh, listen to each other, uh, great things can happen. Right. And it's it's in that huddle that I think humility happens. I think um, your your character is built when you're a part of a team. And as you know, Write It Down has had um, about six NFL Hall of Famers as guests. And each of the, them have been humble in nature and, and set apart in character. Do these attributes factor into the Hall of Fame selection? Or is it only like greatness in the game that's considered? Well, yeah, I mean, we got a few characters. Uh, you know, I, I suppose they're not all humble, but I will tell you that the great bulk of the ones that I've come to know, uh, they understand the shoulders that they stand upon of people before them. Uh, you know, that uh, in this league in Canton, Ohio, in uh, 1920, when the league was formed here, uh, there were two African-Americans in the league that year. And you can imagine how tough that was. And two years later, like I said, there was an African-American head coach. And this was 24 years before Jackie Robinson um, stepped on a field for the Brooklyn Dodgers. But, but but everybody stands on their shoulders and the guys who came before them. So I, I, I will tell you that when I uh, knocked on the door of uh, Brett Favre, um, you know, Brett Favre, you know, he knew I was going to knock on his door that day. It took 10 seconds to select him, and it took 10 hours to select everybody else. But when I told him he was one of the 302 best players, coaches, and contributors of all time to the game, he put his hands in his pockets and he kind of hung his head in great humility because I think he knew what this moment was. I, I've seen it in Ray Lewis, who I think you had on your show, yes, uh, you know, um, Marcus, Tim Brown, so, so many others, uh, you know, great coaches like co Coach uh, Tony Dungy. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I think they, there is a confidence that comes from competition and, and from character that they have built up, but there's also a humility uh, that it, a lot of them got here because they're teammates. Or because, like I said, family members who sacrifice for him. Um, it's a it, it's a great group of people, and, and it's not because of the worship of football heroes. They are names that you know everybody immediately knows. They are household names. But as I've come to know them, uh, they didn't fall out of bed great. They all worked their butt off to be great. Mm -hmm. And, and, and there was some moment that was critical to them that they had to rise to the occasion. And sometimes it's not just once, but over and over again. And, and, um, and I think they have a humility because of the journey that they've made and the people that have helped them make it. Yeah. It goes back to that, to the, to the team element of it all. And if you could tell, um, the David Baker of 2014 before starting this job full force, what is a piece of advice you'd give yourself knowing what you know now? Probably get some rest. <laughs> but, 
Yeah, I, I, I have never been very good at balance. And I think there's been a lot of wonderful stuff here. And every day I think that we could do more. Yeah. And, um, but, but I think the main thing would be to just, you know, God's got you here for a purpose. So just trust him every day. And that's, you know, most days that's what I do, but I need to do it more. Just trust him. That's not just a David Baker thing. That's a people thing. I think it's it's super easy um, to get super busy in life. And, and Corona kind of slowed all of us down to kind of sit there and reflect of, okay, why am I actually doing what I'm doing right now? What is the actual purpose behind me living? You know, if, if I never go into work again or I never see this person again at Walmart or whatever it is, why am I doing what I'm doing? And um, so kind of partnered with that, is there something you've learned about yourself during um, quarantine and kind of the, the corona, the six-month lockdown? Well, I, I'll tell you, it's, um, I think it is a hard time for many and uh, I'm sorry for that and um, empathize with them. For, for me, it wasn't a hard time at all because if somebody would have told me that I would have had three months to sleep in my own bed and be locked with my wife um, and I didn't have to travel, I would have paid them for that, Brooke. <laughs> and so it was a wonderful time of, uh, of spending some time with Colleen that we haven't had. Uh, it was some time of... Uh, Having you know so, so much of our time when we're working to serve others is is uh, you know renting out our thoughts to the challenges that we have to face, and it was a wonderful time for me to have control of my thoughts again. To be honest with you, uh, to spend some time in in prayer and to and to catch up on some things and to gain some perspective. So um, for me, it, it this this was actually a blessing for me personally, uh, but I clearly understand and feel bad because uh, I think both health-wise and economically, it was not a lot of blessing for a lot of others. No, not at all. But it definitely allowed a lot of other people to slow down. And I definitely think this is a time that the Lord's been, you know, asking us, you know, what are you here for? Like what everything in this life, you can, you can work for money, you can work for fame, you can tirelessly aim for your dreams or you can just, like you said, rest in the fact that he's in control. Yeah. And um, well, yeah. it, it, it's interesting to me because in, in Scripture, there's a story of a guy named Elijah who uh, got into a great debate in front of a lot of people about whose God was the greatest. Mm -hmm. And he actually built the fire, had him pour water on it, and, and, and told them to pour more water on it. And God caused that bonfire to grow. Mm -hmm. And at that moment in time, he was probably feeling good, but he, he then very shortly after that forgot how great his God was. And he hid in a cave uh, because someone else was trying to kill him. Mm -hmm. And it's it, the scripture says that, you know, God spoke to him, not in the thunder, but in the whisper of the wind. And it wasn't when the bonfire is roaring or when the thunder is going in that cave. It was in the quiet moments where you're listening really to God. And I think for me, um, that helped me a lot during this time. Yeah. And, I, and I think a lot of us will emerge from this pandemic uh, whenever that happens uh, with a, a greater uh, love of family and, and a greater faith 
uh, an understanding of how important faith is. Yeah. And not everything, not everything is Netflix. <laughs> That's the truth. Yeah. Because I even had that, you know, kind of come to Jesus moment during this Corona of like, I'm spending my days doing the same thing. I mean, I live in sunny Florida, so the weather has been awesome here. I know that's not the case for everyone else, but um, just at the beach and hanging with my friends. And it's like, no, I need to use this time to be still kind of like you said, it's during that rest, that restful time. I mean, it's the same with uh, Gideon. He was sitting underneath the tree, you know, when when the angel approached him to, to let him know what he was going to do next. And I think about that as like, I can make my schedule so busy sometimes and put all my, my um, max effort into something and I'm missing actual enjoyment with Jesus and what he's given me. And so I miss that a lot. And I can imagine with the job that you have is way busier than, than what I do um, that you're traveling all the time. You're, you know, working on things with the NFL, with the hall of fame and the selection process. So just being able to rest, like you said, and just sleep in your own bed is just things that you probably have overlooked. It, it, it was a, a great and well-needed time for me personally. Absolutely. Um, well, before we get to our write it down portion of the show, I'd like to end with a few fun, rapid fire questions. Um, just to have some fun, learn a little bit more about you, not so serious. Um, so I'll start you in easy. What is your favorite snack of all time? <laughs> uh, you know what? I've never met a food I didn't like, but it would probably be Hostess Snowballs. Okay. Okay. Um, you know, I, uh, when I was a kid, uh, my folks didn't have much and, to me, that was the greatest treat in the world. And uh, snowballs have made me what I am today, which is about 400 pounds. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I've never had a hostess snowball. I'm going to have to get some now. Man, okay. You, you haven't lived, Brooke. You haven't lived until you – make sure it's a pink one. They're best. Oh, so they have different colors? Yeah, they have pink and white. At Halloween, they have – Orange at uh, St. Patrick's Day, they have green ones, but they all taste great. That that's my favorite. Okay, speaking of Halloween, what's your favorite Halloween candy? Oh, you know what? Uh, again, I've, there's never a candy that I have not uh, liked. I mean, <laughs> and, and, uh, so it's hard for me to choose. There, I, I was uh, I was not a big Halloween guy, yeah. uh, but uh, you know, I. I uh, I, I certainly have liked uh, candy, and uh, here in the office, uh, Rachel will attest to you. I have, you know, uh, I've actually put peanut clusters in other people's offices so that it's harder for me to get to them. <laughs> uh, but I then I then I knowing where they are, I then go get them. Right. So, but there's a little bit of a boundary there. Is there a certain? I, I tr I'm, <laughs> go ahead. I'm trying to set some parameters, but. It, doesn't work. work. You know where they are. You need someone else to hide them for you. I think that's that's yeah. the key right there. So you don't know where they're at. Is there a routine that you do daily that you can't go without? Like for me, I can't not floss before I go to like before I brush my teeth before I go to bed. Is there like a daily routine that you're like, man, if I miss this step, it's not going to be the same. Well, again, this is going to sound uh, like a pattern, but I tell you, if I don't pray in the morning yeah, uh, and, and, and hopefully get in a little bit of God's word. I'll tell you, it affects me the rest of the day. Same. And, and on days when I go several days without that, 
mm. uh, it, 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 uh, it deteriorates further from there. Yep, same. I say yeah, I'm I dry can, I and I cry. With, I can, I, yeah, I can live without flossing. Yeah. Uh, I, I do want you to know I brush my teeth, though. But, That's uh, good. For the record, but, David Baker but, brushes his teeth. But but the other stuff, Brooke, uh, if yeah. I if I miss that, I uh, I, I find that uh, I, I kind of deteriorate as I go on. Yeah, me too. Me too. What is okay? I got two more. What is the um or who is the most notable celebrity that you've ever encountered? In your in your perspective. Uh, you know, I, I'll tell you that's a that's a hard one because uh, all my Hall of Famers are celebrities. And right. Picking one of them wouldn't be like asking which of my kids I love the most, <laughs> and hopefully, all my kids think that I love them the most. That's um, always a favorite. But, but... I, <laughs> but I will tell you that I, uh, I, uh, you know, I've never been a great respecter of celebrity because. Mm-hmm. I've met a lot of celebrities who aren't very happy. Yeah. And and, uh, and yet, as I've come to know our Hall of Famers, I'm in a privileged position where I get to know them as men and not just as football heroes. Right. And uh, for the reasons I've said before, you know, their humility, their uh, their journey, um, you, you really get to know them well. Uh, but I, I've met, you know, I've probably met... Uh, I don't know, five or six presidents. Uh, and uh, I, I, I liked Reagan because he was a guy who I thought cared. But uh, there's a lot of people. It would be, uh, but I'm, I, I don't think I'm too influenced by celebrity. Yeah, no, that's good. I, I don't, yeah, not necessarily like in a starstruck way, but just I feel like there's been times where I've met someone, I'm like, hmm, never thought I would have met them. It's more of like a profound, like, oh, you know, kind of thing. Um, Okay, and I feel like I might know the answer to this because of one of the stories that you said earlier, but if you could be one animal, what would it be and why? Maybe I'll be surprised. (laughs) One animal? Mm -hmm. I don't know. I've been told I give great bear hugs. There you Uh, go. So I would suppose it would have to be a bear, but I'm... I'm not sure what that would be. What did you think I would be? Honestly, because of your dog story, I was like, well, maybe he'd be a dog. But I don't know. Some people surprise you. I feel like you can tell a lot about somebody by what animal they'd identify by. Because there, there's there's a lot of animals out there. I always say I'd be a monkey because <laughs> of the way I laugh. But who knows? <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's great. Well, we are getting to the point uh, where I ask each guest to give a nugget of wisdom for our audience to write down. So, David Baker, what is something you want us to write down? Well, listen, this is I'm not sure that this is a nugget and I'm not sure how much wisdom it has, but I think it has been important in my life. I I have a phrase uh, that I frequently put in letters or discussions, and, and the phrase is that the very best is still ahead. And, and I think that much of the excitement in my life has been about anticipation, mm. about working towards making something better or working towards a goal. And, and, um, and, and no matter how bad it is, uh, it ain't going to last forever. And, um, and, and sooner or later, we're going to make things better together. And, and I think for me, that has a very important spiritual element to it Mm. Uh, because uh, you know the 
the, the basic John 3.16 verse that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes on him should not perish but have everlasting life. And, and while I get to be the one to knock on the door, it says in Revelations 3.20 that if, you know, that, that, that God knocks upon our door and if we answer the door, he will come in and dine with us and us with him. Mm. And so I, I believe that you know, everybody has to determine their faith for themselves. I'm a, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ, not because I'm a better person by any means, but frankly, because I may be worse. Hmm. And I need somebody like him to forgive my sins by his grace, because I'm not qualified to do anything myself. Yeah. But if, 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 if you believe in that and you believe, uh, you know, that, you know, our sins have been forgiven and there's an eternal life. It's a wonderful uh, message because, frankly, uh, it's always going to get better. Yeah. Uh, even uh, even when I die, the great news is on those people that I love who also believe in Jesus Christ, I never have to say goodbye to them for the last time. I'm going to get to see them again. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it's a phrase that we use here at the hall because uh, we're going to huddle up and we're going to make things better every day. Uh, but it's also a spiritual phrase that I think means a lot to me, um, that the very best is still ahead. I love that. The best is ahead. David Baker, thank you so much for joining us on Write It Down. Thank you for listening to the Write It Down podcast. This podcast is a part of the 1513 Network. You can catch a variety of shows on their website, 1513.com. If you enjoy listening to Write It Down, please subscribe, share with your friends, and if there's any ink left in your pen, write a review. For more content, follow the fun on Instagram by following at W-I-D-P-O-D. That spells WIDPOD. Super cool. Stands for Write It Down Podcast, but it's abbreviated to WIDPOD. Anyways, thanks for listening, and we will catch you later.